0: Not sure if you knew, but this week is the Marriage National Week. Starts started on the seventh and ends on the fourteenth. And now don't ask me what is so special about February fourteenth. If you're married, you better be aware. And and I thought it'd be a good thing to um, to talk about gospel reflection in marriage. How does gospel reflect in marriages? Now this Uh, Marriage National Week, the objective of this uh, initiative is uh, that they would strengthen individual marriages, reduce divorce rates, and build a culture that fosters strong marriages. Because, you know, we live in times where the idea of marriage is is rejected, is skewed. There seems to be this destruction of this foundation called marriage. And it's laughed at. I don't know if you knew, but if you look up the U.S. government website, it says there is a divorce in the U.S. every 36 seconds. 36 seconds there is a divorce. And Washington Post wrote, wrote this article. It said, why are millennials putting off marriage? Let me count the ways. That's the title. Millennials are not getting married. And uh, the, the point to ask is um, why, what, 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 and so the article lists those, um, you know, the various reasons. Uh, the, the world looks at marriage as being very limiting, restrictive, right? I mean... It's binding. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't give me the liberty because marriage says one, and uh, the world says no. It's, you know, we, we can't be limited to one. Uh, marriage says union of man and woman. Uh, but the world says no. As long as it's a loving relationship, it should be okay. I'm not sure if you knew of people who are called the OS, objectum sexual. People who fall in love with objects, there is actually an article. You can Google it out. There is somebody who actually got married to Eiffel Tower. And they said that they will pledge to love, honor, and obey. Now, it's in this context that I want to talk to you about marriage because it's important that, you know, the, the, uh, as the uh, organizers of this marriage week, they're saying the social research that has come out from this, uh, the effect of marriage is very positive. Uh, married adults they live longer, they have a better health, and they have greater personal happiness. What about children where well, they 're married with uh, they're in families with married mother and father they are better in school, they have fewer addictions, fewer teenage pregnancies, and less trouble with the law. You see the social research is saying marriage is good, and, and yet the world does not seem to understand but my point in our discussion today is to move us to what the bible is saying what is it about the bible and why is it that marriage is uniquely different and one one thing i want us to say right away is this marriage for us as ones who are christ followers is not just because of its social benefits but because of its spiritual benefit and the idea and reason really is because it's god's idea marriage is god's idea it is not something that we put together. So as we look at the Bible, we want to explore what the Bible teaches about marriage and what are, therefore, the consequent benefits. What, what is it that that uh, that would impact us? And we, we look at it from the first marriage conducted by God himself on the last day of creation. Uh, so uh, the uh, Bible uh, begins with marriage, does it not? In, in the very... Uh, initial creation uh, story itself, we read about uh, marriage, and it ends with marriage. Uh, you read that in Revelation with the marriage of the Lamb. Uh, and how in Revelation twenty one one it says in the old, uh, the first heaven and the first earth passed away because there was this new heaven and the new earth as an eternal home for the Lamb and His bride. So it's, it's in this context you look at what the Bible is saying about marriage. It's not just one of the themes. Marriage is uh, about God seeking a bride for his son. The undeserving bride, spotless, blameless, and made presented all glorious in Christ. It's a God-designed marriage, and it's to this God-designed marriage where we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where the demons are opposed, they they want to forbid marriage, that God is presenting to us the greatest imagery, the closest intimate relationship we humans experience in which we can see both the gospel of Jesus Christ and where God is going to be glorified. And so it's in that thing I want us to turn to to Genesis chapter 2, I want to read, read together. In fact, if you would all open your Bibles, we can read aloud together from verse 18 to 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. And if you will read with me together, um, may God's word be he- uh, read aloud and, and uh, may, may it uh, be heard in our ears. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he, the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gives name, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from that man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So uh, she shall be called woman because he was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Father God, we pray that you would speak to us. Show us, Lord, from your word, what is it that you have intended for us, for life and for faith and for godliness? That as we spend some time, Lord, uh, that you would speak to us, speak through me, Lord, and speak to me, and speak to all of us. Your word gives life, and so may it be among our midst this morning, this afternoon. We thank you again in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Uh, Albert Muller has said that if we didn't have anything else about marriage in the Bible, just the first two chapters of Genesis, that would be enough for us to understand something of this urgent and inter- this uh, eternal importance of marriage because this marriage is the central means of glorifying God. And so that's why we wanted to... Uh, to f- come down to chapter 2 and focus on that. But um, uh, just to put that in context, in Genesis 1, what happens? Genesis 1, we read the, creative, uh, cr- the creation order, what, what God has done as creation. But I also want you to see what happens with man. There is both this identity and the dignity of man and woman being established in chapter 1. You, you see, man was made in the image of God man and woman, made in the image of God, and they have this dignity, that this dominion, that they would be the ones who would rule, they would be the ones who, in the image of God, would represent God on this earth. That is already established, and having done that, we, we would come to chapter 2, but in Uh, Chapter 1, you should ask this question, God, you just spoke about this beautiful wonders of creation, and then now you're talking about this mundane marriage, mundane man and woman being created, and God is saying, yeah, listen, this grandeur of creation and this wonder of relationship is not because it's contrasted, but it's like two gems that we we are drawn to focus our attention on. Genesis 1. Well, I don't, know. I don't know if you knew this, but Genesis 1 and chapter 27, if you, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, sorry, uh, the way it's written, it's actually the first poem. Bible actually bursts out into a poem when it speaks about man and woman. Poetry. God is, you know, is poetic as he, uh, through the inspiration, um, as Moses is inspired, he writes about this. And so uh, we, 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 uh, it, it, we have to look at this passage that we read in that context that God is intimately involved in this marriage. And so let's look at it verse by verse. In verse 18, we said uh, that the Lord God said, it is not good. Now, this is God's assessment. He 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 just made the grandeur of creation. A- and then he says it is not good. This is not expected. This is not what you hear from some something beautiful that God has already made. These are strong words. These are not like uh, you know not like the chef. We oftentimes, you know, I, I think of this as an illustration. You cook something, and we, we were always uh, made to taste and ch- to check if there's enough salt because. You know, that enhances the flavor. God is not like, no, I think it needs a little extra salt. Or it's not like the cherry on top of the sundae. This is a strong word. This is like something is deficient. Something is missing. And I want you to understand that God is pointing this out. It's not Adam. Adam is not complaining. He's like, oh, I'm all alone. No, it's not God. It's not not Adam, sorry. He doesn't even know about this. It is Adam. Sorry, (laughs) I'm getting mixed up here. But it's God who who says this. And so the question we have to ask is, why is God saying this? First of all, I want you to understand that this is this this God is talking about this relational deficiency. There's something deficient in this relationship that Adam is to come into. You see, because God is Adam is made in the image of God, and God being the relational God is saying, listen, Adam, there's something not enough. There's something deficient. It is not good. Life itself is incomplete and so what happens therefore is God initiates in verses 18 to 25 what we want to do is go through seven things that happens in trying to understand and hidden in that are just beautiful gems that will hopefully speak to us all right so so God initiates step one a helper fit for him a helper fit for him. Now, I want you to understand, God is not saying, I knew something was wrong or something was missing. It is not God realizing it. As you will go through, you will see that God wants man to understand that something is missing. That's the core thing, all right? So uh, keeping that in mind, he says, I want to make him a helper fit for him. When you get the word helper, you you get the sense of inferiority. I want you to understand it is not inferiority because God himself says he's a helper. We read that in, in Psalm 54 verse 4, behold, God is my helper. So being helper is not about inferiority. It's not about dependence that the wife is now dependent because in 1 Corinthians 11, we see man and woman being interdependent. The word is about a complement that is you know, coming alongside that, that completion that happens in because of man and a woman, like ebony and ivory on a piano, like the socks and your shoes, like your milk and Oreo, like morning and coffee, like pancakes and syrup, like movies and popcorn. But any comparison is not enough when man and woman are brought together man and woman, brought together. And I want you to understand that this difference, this binary difference, this, this presenting, the way God lays it out is by design. N.T. Wright says it beautifully. If you read these first two chapters, you, you, you tend to see these two differences. You tend to see heaven and earth. You tend to see day and night. You tend to see dry land and, and those waters being separated. And then you get to this man and woman. And even when you get to Revelation, you see this new heaven and new earth, this binary difference. And so, because of that, marriage is there for a signpost of a purpose that God has. Something that should make us pause and ask why is God going through all this uh, uh, drama, if you want to call it, or what is the specific reason? All right. So what God does in verse 19, he puts God, uh, he puts Adam through uh, awareness program. I want to call it the gap. God's awareness program. Verse 19. All right. Verse 19. So what happens there? Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought him to the man to see what he would call him. You see, now... Um, God is saying, it's not right. I'm, I'm going to make him a helper. But what he's doing here is he is bringing him animals. If, uh, you know, the book of Genesis were to be given to one of the uh, publishers at this point, they would say, no, 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 there's some disconnect here. There's, there's no logical flow. But God is saying, wait, it's, you know, you need to see the spiritual significance There's a reason why this is being done. First of all, he is being brought, uh, these animals are being brought to Adam so that they'd be named. In, In Genesis 1, who is doing the naming? God is doing the naming. And in Genesis 2, now Adam is called to name because as the delegated authority, he is saying, he's showing the headship, the dominion. But not just that, naming is about relationship. See the example of Abram and Jacob. they get this new name, so this name naming therefore, is some some intimate relationship, but yet Adam has to see that even though he names these animals, that they cannot be that relationship which he is meant for, what is the one that is meant for for him. But well, observe another thing in verse 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field. You see, in verse chapter 2, verse 7, man is, we read, man is made from where? Made, made from the dust of the ground. And here again, the animals are made also from the same dust. You see, the source of the material is not the one that's going to uh, decide their relationship. Adam needs to have somebody who comes out out of him, as we will see. It, it, the source material being the same does not make the difference. And then you get to verse 20. In verse 20, we see the man gave the names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. No bird, no animal, no pet could form or could meet the need of Adam. Not the long-legged giraffe, not the stately lion, not the gentle fawn, not even a bird like pelican. A beautiful bird is pelican. His bill can hold more than his belly can. All of them. And yet, Adam is made aware that None of them can satisfy. So you get to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he had slept, he took off the ribs and closed up with its, uh, in his place with flesh and takes out the Adam's rib to form a companion. And Matthew Henry, a Puritan, he, he, he writes this. He says, not out of the head, to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal to him, and under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And she came out of Adam, and therefore she is a perfect image of God. Man and woman made in the image of God. And so, what happens in verse 23? Verse 23, literally, it says that at last, this one at last, this one, this, like Adam is now bursting into a poem. I don't know if you uh, ladies have thought about this, but it seems like every time a woman is mentioned, there's a poem being said, um, and yeah, it's true that happens, but I also want you to recognize that's because of this, this completion of this relationship that causes this joy, this glory, as it were, it's something completed. And, and, and it's important to notice, and she shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. You see, the man, uh, this man the name woman is Isha, and man is ish. And so what Adam is doing, his, his, he's got his name embedded in hers. is this loving, intimate relationship that is already indicated in the naming of the woman. a calling of the woman. Intimacy. And it goes on in verse 24. It says, Therefore, it is good to pause and ask this. Like this, therefore, is something about the future, something later. It's not just speaking about Adam and Eve. Therefore, you see, a man is to leave the father and his mother and hold for a fast to his wife. This thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, this something that's that's happening here, this will be the pattern for as long as there'll be marriage on this earth. Therefore. Therefore, uh, the, the, the meaning is sticks to his wife. You know, there's this like becoming like one as we see later. This, Israel was asked to do that, to stick to uh, the Lord God in this covenantal relationship, the sticking together. I want you to understand what is happening here. This is about the first loyalties, as I would call it. And what I mean by that is this. You see, when you read the book of, you know, the Old Testament, uh, different books, and even as an example is when you get to Israel and his uh, children, they don't leave Jacob to go settle somewhere else. It seems like, you know, the wife comes in, it's the wife who leaves, and, and the uh, children set up, you know, extend their home and continue to stay with the father. So Israel really didn't uh, practice this leaving and cleaving in a sense. And so, one thing we must not forget what is happening here is what God is saying is that the first loyalties, the first loyalties is not to the parents anymore, but to his wife. There is something about the relationship. The focus, therefore, is in relationship more than the geographical difference. And the geog- geographical difference helps. But don't forget the first priority. Because sometimes we can be in two different continents and yet be so emotionally connected. The first priorities have not changed. And then it talks and then it ends in verse 25. The man and woman... This wife, we're both naked and not ashamed. The freshness of relationship, there's this vulnerability, there's this transparency, there is this total honesty, and they become as one flesh not you and I, but us. This deepest intimacy that is expressed. And when you get to Ephesians 5, this is what is used. This one flesh is what is used of how Christ and the church come together as one. The body of Christ and um, uh, being the church and the head of the church being Christ. So they became flesh, uh, one flesh. And this is to be for the glory of God. The very, this goodness of this relationship, what God is saying, there's going to be no other earthly relationship like this. I, as I, as I traveled a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that, that I heard about this is this new cult called the Mother God cult. And the Mother God cult is essentially saying the strongest relationship is between the mother and the child. And you see often this worship happen in different parts of the world. And God is saying, no, that's a corruption of relationship. The highest relationship is between the husband and the wife, two strangers coming and coming together as one, becoming one flesh. And it's in that, this marriage, this this marriage that he initiates in Genesis, is, is to be this reflection of Godhead, the reflection of Godhead. Let me let me go through some of the reasons why I say this. How Godhead is reflected in a marriage, since God is permanent. Since God is permanent, he designed marriages with lasting commitment, forsaking all others, I take you. That means nothing else matters, you are going to be mine, is this covenantal relationship. God is triune, and so these marriages are meant for companionship. In Godhead, the three equal persons, and so therefore marriage is with equal dignity between man and woman. God is diverse and complementary. It's interesting, in Genesis 1, the only uh, indication of sex or gender is for male and female. For the animals... Its reproduction is assumed, but human sexuality is celebrated. Chapter one, verse twenty-seven. And and so, there's something unique, even though through this, uh, there is uh, they are the same, but yet there is a difference. And as God's Trinity is ordered. Son and the spirit gladly submitting to the Father, He designed marriage with authority to be exercised uh, lovingly and with submission to be given willingly. But the thing with is Genesis two, the story doesn't end there sadly. It doesn't end there. It leads us to Genesis three. So what happens in Genesis three? It's where sin enters, where God's word is, is denied, God's word is not believed, it's rejected, sin enters, relationship is marred, headship of Adam is threatened, poetry is forgotten, there's accusation, there's shame, there's pain, there's loss, there's sweat, and death enters, and design and the very purpose of marriage is impacted because of sin. And this sin... And what it's impacted, what the sin that's impacted us, impacted them, Adam and Eve, also impacts us. That's why Ray Oatland said this. It's called the perennial relevance. What happened in Genesis 3 is, is relevant for us. Sin impacts a marriage still. Listen to this. Adam and Eve unleashed hell in Eden with their choices. It's not uncommon for married spouses to do the same in their own edens. Genesis 3 explains why we marry in happiness and hope and get our hearts so deeply broken. We, we marry with such hope and anticipation. But then, because of Genesis 3, there's despair, grief. And sadness. So sin has entered, it's caused problems. But I want us to draw our attention to this fact that there is grace and gospel evidenced in this chapter 3. Grace and gospel, you see, the greatest glory in the universe, which is Genesis 1 and 2, became the greatest tragedy in the world, Genesis 3, but only the greatest love can restore it. And we see that towards the end, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, uh, there's complete restoration. So... Grace and glory in chapter 3. One is grace. I want you to recognize this one thing about grace. When, when Adam and Eve were, were banished from Eden, God did not take the gift of marriage from them. You get that? The gift of marriage continues even in spite. So it's the remnant of Eden that we enjoy. God did not take the gift away, and therefore every marriage, every marriage is worth fighting for. And preserving the devil's intent he wants to destroy he wants to skew, he wants to you know completely eliminate marriage, so when you look at statistics or even the status of the present marriages, it shows us just that, but I want you to understand that this present day marriage there is hope there is There is there is possibilities in Christ, because what happens is in Genesis three we read that it is the Lord who pursues. He comes and asks Adam, "Where are you?" It it is not that God is playing hide and uh, you know God and Adam are playing hide and seek or whatever. Like, oh, let me find where you are. God is not trying to find Adam's geographical location. But it's a grieving God coming, seeking humanity. Doesn't he do that? The rest of the Bible, as you read, he does does just that. Cross would always remain the greatest symbol of a God coming, seeking for sinners in restoration. And then as you read Genesis 3, we read that he covers them with the coats of skin. And he sends them out. He says, lest they eat of the tree of life. You see, what had happened is with eating of the tree of good and evil, now Adam and Eve become the decision makers or they become the arbitrators. They are saying, we are going to decide now who, what is right and what is wrong apart from God. And now Now, if they eat of the tree of life, they will be caught up in that cycle of that that death. There'll be no release, and God's grace is evident as he banishes them from Eden, but he covers them. In, In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of righteousness. Garments of salvation, and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. The grace of God. I don't want you also to forget the gospel, the the joy. This Adam and Eve are offered hope in their suffering. God, you see, God tells them about the consequences of their choice, but he also gives them hope of life. Uh, Eve, Two things about Eve. She, she's going to suffer and there's going to be strife. As a mother, she's going to suffer in childbirth. And as, as, as a wife, there's going to be this strife as to who's going to get the control of the wheel. And Adam, he, he's going to dominate. He's not going to defend his wife anymore. And That's going to be his natural thing, trying to press her down and, and, and to usurp authority over her. For Adam's new reality is not work, but the, the futility of work. You know, the sweat and all of those. You see, if somebody says in heaven, you're going to sit up there and play some harp or something, I, 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 you know, Bible doesn't talk about it. I believe in the economy of heaven. There's going to be work, but it won't be the futility of work. The, the, we, we will enjoy it because it will be to the glory of God, as it ought to be even now for us as we, as we are redeemed. But more so, get this, the death is real. But in this death, yet through that, there is this hope of life that is being offered because the offspring of of Eve is going to be the one who will destroy the devil. And so what does Adam do? This is beautiful. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, he names her Eve because she's going to be the mother of all living. What Adam is saying is, I believe that. I'm going to grab that. Hold on to it by faith because, no, we were supposed to die and and yet in this death we've been offered this life and Eve will therefore be the mother of all living. Thankfully, Therefore, you know, Genesis 3 should have been the last chapter of the Bible. Sin, death, that's it. But we are thankful that it is not. It's just the beginning. It it just goes on to show how God pursues and brings us into this loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, marriage, as we see, provides this beautiful imagery. Of, of a bride who did not deserve to be married to the Prince of Peace. And we who are married, Christ followers, have the joy of presenting in our marriage what Christ means to us. And so I'm going to give you three things that we can remember about our marriages. The three things for, for our marriages the one, the first thing I want us to know and want us to honor is that we will honor God's word in our marriage. You see, sin entered because of unbelief, sin entered because of the denial and the removal of God's word. Stop asking this question, did God really say that? And come up with our own meanings of what it means. Just, just say we will honor God's word. Honoring God's word, listen to this, the sure downfall of marriage can often be attributed to the neglect or rejection of God's word in their homes. Our marriages are destroyed because God's word is not honored at home, and therefore with Joshua, we, we should join in with Joshua and says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So one, we will honor God's word. Second, we will honor each other in a marriage. We will honor each other in a marriage. If we can, at a later time, we'll look at Ephesians 5 and how beautifully, you know, Paul writes to see this this marriage that, that, Joyce and I and and those of you who are married are experiencing is this reflection that we can enjoy. It says, husband, you are to nourish and you're to cherish and to love your wife and wives, you're to respect and submit in the Lord. It is only in Christ, listen to this, it's only in Christ that the reluctance of selfless love, the reluctance of selfless love, I, I, I love myself more than I love my wife, naturally speaking, but this reluctance, the reluctance to stop, to, to put her first is only because of Christ and the sting of submission is removed. Only in Christ. So we will honor God's word. We will honor each other. And third, we will honor God's design in our marriage. God's design in our marriage. You see, for a Christian, the defense of the marriage is not as much as a political issue as much as it's a spiritual issue. we will commit to honor each other, that we will uh, honor the order in marriage, we will uh, honor the reflection of God's glory and the gospel in the marriage, we will, we will have this responsibility of bringing our children up in the right template, so that, they, so that they would get the right template. You see, if they need to know what the gospel is all about, let them be, have them look at your marriage. It would be, a good indicator because they learn first at home. So that marriage, our marriages, would be the best template for our children. Now I know there are among us some who are not married and are about to get married or are waiting to get married or whatever it is. But the truth remains this the greatest relationship that reflects God's glory and grace is when man and woman come together as one flesh. There's no alternative. It's in that relationship we want to honor God's word, we want to honor each other, and we want to honor God's design. I read an article the other day that deeply impacted me as I talk about this about this God's design and our, and our responsibility as parents to our children. The title of the article is, Why There Are No Christian Children in North Korea. I'm not sure if you knew, but in North Korea, it's been on the top of the list for the past more than 10 years as being the most persecuted, uh, the place that persecutes Christians the most. And so if you are a Christian, you are uh, expected to be hung, shot, or... Uh, sent to labor camp. So the story goes about this Chinese pastor who had escaped from North Korea. How he, he knew that his parents were different. They, 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 the community, the village where they grew up in North Korea would call them, call them the communist parents because they were helpful. They, were, they would go out of the way, give things even, they, even though they didn't have. And so he knew his parents were something, some, uh, there was some difference with their parents they would read something about the secret book, but their parents would not share their faith with the children because there's a threat of losing the children and, and losing every opportunity to even share the gospel. Because in school, they would constantly quiz them to see about what's happening at home. And when, when this gentleman was about 30 years old, the, name, the brother's name is Lee John Chan. When he was about 30 years old, they had this opportunity to flee North Korea to go to China. And listen to this. What the mother does is takes him to a house church. And there she prays for three hours, sweat, and tears. She prays for North Korea. That North Korea would. Uh, there would be a revival in North Korea. Prays for marriages. Prays for her her son. And then shares the gospel. Very shortly after. They had to. They returned back to North Korea. For whatever reason. But they were betrayed. And as the son is standing across the river. Where they had crossed. He actually saw them being killed. And he then later comes to know the Lord and now he is a pastor. He was told by his mother, we've been praying for you to be God's child. And I pause to think and ask this question that if we are gripped by knowing what our marriages are intended to be, what what a Christian family is intended to be, the gravity of the responsibility but God is glorified in our relationship. That they're able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two sinners, two, two, two people who have fallen coming together in grace and living together and sharing and having the joy. And then our kids are able to see the template that, yes, this tells me of a God about who loves me. It's come to us easy. But it, it cost your God, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his life. So as we look at this Valentine week, I thought it would be good for us to just go back and s- touch on some of these principles and truths. That God takes Adam and Eve through this motion, as it were, to embed in a deep truths that we can live by. That as we consider our spouse, that we will live our lives where he is glorified. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your son and that he would give up and give up his, uh, uh, give up heaven to come down to seek us, that we would be his bride. We fully don't understand this concept, Lord. Well, we thank you that you have given us a fresh reminder every day, those of us especially who are married and for children who watch their parents, that it is to be the best reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a life's glorified God. So help us to live, Lord, in a way that you're glorified and that this gospel would shine out into the lights of those people who are watching us that they would know that there is a God in heaven who loves them to death and that wants to have a relationship not just uh, uh, not just this uh, relationship of a man and a woman on earth but f- so much greater so much greater we read in, in your book lord that the, in your presence there is fullness and joy forever and nothing compares with the relationship with you and so lord i plead and i pray lord that uh, lord that you would rem- rem- remember that we are mere dust that the strength and grace be given and that we will commit ourselves to this covenantal relationship that you've brought us into. And those who are still waiting to get, waiting to get married or wanting and, and wanting to know where, where, where will the spouse come from. Lord, would you be gracious to them to, so that they would also experience this joy that you've given those of us who are married. And those who don't know you, Lord, though, though, for for whom this marriage and this template and this this model is of no consequence, because they don't know the greater truth of who Jesus Christ is. We pray that your that their eyes would be opened. We pray, Lord, that they are able to see the 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 bridegroom, the, uh, see them as the see him as the fairest of ten thousand, as the one who's the beloved of our souls, and. And enter into this relationship as no other. Lord, that we would be, that we would lose no one of our children because of our frailties, our weakness, our sins, that you would you 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 would lift their eyes up, Lord, to see the glories of Christ. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that this is in your will. We ask in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. Amen.